Welcome back to the Gospel Culture and Me podcast episode two. That's right. We're having leadership conversations focused on the intersection of culture and the church and how it affects your and my day-to-day life. My name is Steve Smith, and each week we're inviting friends and experts in their field to have difficult conversations on topics that the church has historically neglected or just missed the Mark, if you missed episode one where Ron Zappia talks with Miles McPherson, hey, do this, hit pause right now. You're not going to want to miss that conversation on race and what Miles calls the third option. Today, we welcome our friend Katie Cole. Man, she is a powerhouse in all things leadership and leadership development. If there's somebody who knows how to lift the lid on people's leadership, It's Katie Cole. She oversaw the explosive growth of Christ Fellowship in Palm Beach, Florida. Under her leadership as executive director of Multisite, the church grew from, get this, 3,500 to 23,000 people a weekend. Today, she's a leadership consultant running Katie Cole and Company, and she's personally mentored so many on our team here, which we are grateful for. Now, I know that this conversation is going to be a must-listen because it's direct from the title of her newest book, Developing Female Leaders. Man, talk about a topic where the church has missed the mark, and I'm telling you, our church has as well. That's why we're having the conversation Here's Ron Zappia having an honest talk with Katie Cole on developing female leaders. Hey, Katie, this is a great gift to our listeners to get to know you and to learn from you. We're so excited to have you with us. You've had a huge impact, not only at the church at large, I mean, so many different places, but also right here at our church with many topics. I mean, you've been uh, counseling and mentoring and helping us to scale as we've added new locations, done some things. But today, we're going to get specific about one topic that you've written about, that you have a heart for, that you've been living this for a lot longer than we've been talking about it. And so we need to learn. The topic is this, leveraging female leadership to unlock their full potential in the church, in organizations. And so I thought it'd be great if we just start with, uh, give us a quick background as, uh, as how you got your start in ministry and you know where, where that took you and where you're at today. Sure. Well, thank you so much for having me. I love this show and appreciate your ministry. So it's a real honor to be here. Uh, I grew up in a really small little country church in Montana of about 100 people. Um, that's where I was saved. I got uh, trained in the Bible. It was a wonderful community. I didn't realize anyone ever worked in ministry or ever got paid to do ministry. We were a totally volunteer church, including the senior pastor. It was actually a really wonderful way to grow up. Uh, professionally, I'm an RN by training. That's what took me to Florida for my first job. Then I started working in colleges, running health centers. I started a counseling center, eventually became dean of students. And all that while my church was growing and I was a big volunteer. I love ministry. I've always wanted to have a role in the kingdom, particularly through my local church. And they ended up recruiting me out of my role in the university to come on staff and help scale growth. And I was on staff full-time for 16 years, where we went from 3,500 to about 23,000, and my final role was- Wow, hold on a minute. You're just saying it. Yeah, you're just saying it like it's nothing. (laughs) Let's just just get those numbers again. You went from what? (laughs) 
Well, when I came on staff, we were about 3,500. And then when I left 16 years later, yeah, we had grown to 23,000. We had nine campuses. My role was executive director of our multi-site at the end. And then I also ran our school of leadership. Uh, So I loved all of that. And if you're in any sort of environment that's growing or changing quickly, you know, there's always a new job to be had. And so I just kind of always jumped into the place that needed to be figured out. And that sort of uh, led me on my ministry journey. So it's been wonderful. Now I spend most of my time helping multi-site churches or churches work on their leadership development. Uh, I do a lot of marketplace uh, consulting also. And then uh, last year I wrote this book about developing female leaders, mostly because I saw churches struggling to really reach their mission and they they needed more leaders. And uh, there was a whole pool of female talent and giftedness that really most churches are having a hard time accessing in a way that matches their theology and in a way that really honors God and where everybody gets to bring their best. Well, I'm telling you, the book is unbelievable. It's phenomenal. It's really changed. Um, it just really helped me to identify some things that you may not even realize or know. So I'm just going to rip the bandaid off right at the beginning. We're talking about a highly debated theological conversation. I mean, that's the truth when we talk about women in ministry. And so our goal is not to debate which end of the spectrum you may be on or what is right or wrong. But, but the, as you've worked in churches on all sides, which I find just fascinating that you've seen it from all kinds of different perspectives. So you're convinced that developing female leadership has been an issue. I would say the same thing. And it needs to be, if we can say it like this, right-sided in the church. But let me just ask you as we start, I mean, can you really address the topic of women in leadership without taking a theological position, which, you know, can sometimes for many, it can stall us, but you've come up with a really cool way to say it. You've put theology aside, not that it's not important, but that let's have this conversation. Can you talk about what that means? Well, because I grew up in such an eclectic kind of mix of churches, I I was a part of churches that had very different theological views around women in leadership. and uh, But my journey has been one where in each of those environments, I felt like I learned a lot. I got to lead a lot. They were wonderful experiences. And so theology obviously is important, but this is a secondary theological issue. And I think because it's a very emotionally charged topic, um, particularly for women or men who are passionate about it, it's a it's a real it's a, a difficult topic it can feel like a minefield that sometimes it's easy to feel like just the theology is the thing that changes everything but as i'm working with churches as i'm growing as a leader as i'm helping churches navigate their own mission and strategic plan what we started to realize is that it's less about the theology and again it's a secondary issue great godly people debate it all the time uh, but what's more important especially from a leadership perspective is that our culture and our leadership practices match our theology. And that's where I think most churches are getting into trouble. Um, When we did our research for the the book, we found some really conservative or complementarian churches who had women thriving in leadership at all levels of their organization, including the executive team. We also had very progressive or even egalitarian churches, which would welcome leaders who are women at all roles and levels, but they had almost no one in their formal leadership teams, no women there. And so it really wasn't about the theology as much as it was uh, the confusion around it. And so part of what we try to do in the book was create these best practices that if you want to really utilize the giftedness of women in your church, particularly their leadership gifts, 
There are some simple but really poignant steps you can take where regardless of where you're at on the theological spectrum, one side or the other side or somewhere kind of mixed up in the middle, which many churches tend to be, if you can identify what it is and then line up your practices and your culture to match your theology, you will see the most momentum and the most traction gained toward your mission. You kind of identify in the book with a couple different ways you talk about this gap where the church is at versus where women are comfortable leading. And they kind of, you know, that's a big gap that we could get more out of no matter what your position is, correct? I think most guys who are in ministry, particularly roles of leadership, would be surprised to realize or experience some of the mixed messages that women get. So yes, I don't know that it's a matter of women feeling comfortable leading. I think there are some really high capacity women who feel comfortable leading at very high levels. And if you look at their outside marketplace career, you can see that. But when they come into the church, they don't know that they're welcome. They know there's a line somewhere. And if you have mature women who have been around ministry or the church for very long, we all know there is a line somewhere in your church. And if that line isn't clearly defined, we are going to lead way below where we think it is. Because in the world of women, particularly strong women, women with big personalities, women with strong leadership gifts, really the cardinal sin for us is stepping over that line, demanding more than we should, being bigger than we should, um, wanting to take stuff that isn't given to us. That's kind of like our female church cultural sin. So we will lead way below the line unless you make it clear for us that you want us to step in and lead small groups. You want us to pray out loud in front of our first impressions team. You want us to be on the platform. We're not going to demand it, but if it's available to us, it's your job as the leader to articulate that and invite us and welcome us and encourage us to take those steps of leadership that God has given us. Okay. You start your your book. I I got to, you start with the first line of the book. It's just, it's hilarious. And somebody said to you, you have really nice birthing hips. That was the first line in the book. I just want to apologize. <laughs> I'm so sorry. That was that was your introduction to ministry. I mean, my introduction to ministry was, you know, okay, um, after eight years in the business world, uh, you're going to make well below what you've made. But that line there, I mean, how did that just initiate you into getting involved in this topic and really going after it? Yeah, that was, uh, I was working a singles ministry, which we could have another whole conversation about singles ministry. Uh, And I was working the greeter table and some guy came up and just uh, thought he was complimenting me, but it was so awkward. And for me, I started the book out with it because it's such a great picture. I was just innocently doing um, the name tags thinking that I was helping and trying to be friendly to people. And that got misconstrued. And then someone says something that's really not horrible, but isn't appropriate. And, and the whole time I'm wondering if I should be here. I'm wondering if this is a place for me. This didn't feel good. I must've done something wrong. And that really is a picture of what a lot of women feel like when they begin to lead in ministry, especially if they've got inadvertent messages coming at them as they start to question themselves. And one of the most important things that we can do to help female leaders or really any minority leader in our churches particularly is to sort of reach beyond those experiences that you probably don't even know they have, but they're sitting and residing in them and holding them back from really being confident about God's giftedness, confident about the role he's called them to, and confident that they have something to contribute in your church. And when we don't have everyone doing what God has asked them to do, our local churches and the people we're serving really miss out. 
Yeah, that's that's really an important thing. I know that you've been involved in, you know, you've said already, you've many organizations that are scaling at a pretty rapid rate and trying to reorganize or reshape the leadership team to promote female leaders into executive leadership. Walk us through, you've kind of hinted at it already, some of the do's and don'ts that you've seen and experienced to, as we want to bring more female voices to the table. What are some things that you've heard or some things that you've experienced, like we just said, that what are some do's and don'ts that we can learn from? Because I think it's some real blind spots in a lot of the leadership today. And so give us some thoughts on that. I think anytime we're inadvertently leaving out a portion of our congregation from being used in ministry, we have to take a look at what can we do to overcome that. There's some sort of either blind or even overt barriers that we need to overcome. So if you're taking a look at your staff team and or your leadership team, even volunteers, and it's not matching the makeup of your congregation, and just to uh, kind of set the record straight, if you're like most churches in America and Canada, 61% or more of your congregation is women. So if you have what most churches do, which is less than 10% of their leadership roles are women, you're really missing an opportunity there. So if there's a gap, you really have to go after it. So it is important to identify those women in your congregation who have strong leadership gifts. I'm not a proponent that every woman should be a leader, just like I'm not a proponent that every man should be a leader. It should be gifted, mature, anointed, faithful, servant-hearted leaders is who you want to invite into leadership. And when you see those leaders, you probably have to recruit them a little differently than you do the guys. Most guys have grown up, especially if they have a heart for ministry with a lot of people affirming their gifts. Most women have not. So they don't have the same kind of uh, confidence walking in. You may have to help her see herself as a leader. You might need to remind her that this job is something she's already practically doing and you just want to formalize it and give her the title and hopefully the right paycheck that goes along with it. What isn't helpful though is when you want to add women to your team, putting them in roles that are not made for leaders. So for example, I see a lot of particularly senior pastors and executive pastors see younger female leaders with a lot of potential. They're sharp, they're on time, they're hungry for things of the Lord, they're really successful in many Ministry. So they bring them on staff to give them exposure and mentor them, but they make them their admin assistant, or they have them be the coordinator of the meeting, whatever, or do special events. Well, those are not ministry leadership roles. Chances are, if you saw a, a young man who had the uh, potential to be a really strong pastor one day, you're not going to bring him on as your admin assistant. Those are not leadership roles. If you want to grow a leader, you have to put her in a leadership role. It would be better to keep her off staff and give her three small groups to run than it would be to bring her on staff and make her your admin assistant. So make sure that you're promoting leaders into leadership roles, giving them their next leadership development uh, step, and encouraging them in the actual skills it takes to be a leader, which does not include taking notes or making the coffee. <laughs> right. I bet, well, I tell you what, you're, you're hitting it right there because a lot of, are guilty in this way. It's just like we put them in a box or we put people in a spot. And so you really can't, you're not putting them in a place where they're able to they're going to be recognized. Authority and responsibility have to go hand in hand, correct? I mean, that's really right. what you're saying. Oh, yes. The, she gets no organizational clout by giving right. her that role. And secondly, you're sending her a message that says, I don't see leadership in you. I see support role in you. And that is very crippling to a leader, especially early on. The other thing is even let's just say she rocks it and you give her all this uh, authority 
responsibility that doesn't match the authority. So now she's working on your behalf, trying to make change and lead things, but people don't recognize her as your voice because you've not given her the title or the role that goes along with that. But then even if she does a good job, which many women leaders, scrappy as they are, will make it happen, you promote her, she still hasn't actually led anything. So now you've got a female leader with great potential who's been over-promoted and can't actually manage a team doesn't know how to have hard conversations, has always lived in the wings or the shadows of your leadership, and she's not cut her teeth or built the muscles and gotten the thick skin she needs to navigate a leadership level at the level you're giving her. So we do them a huge disservice on multiple levels, even though it feels good and even though they may be really excited, it's not a kind thing to do to a great potential female leader. But I know in your book, you talked about this a little bit and you said that you're a learned leader. Can you develop that a little bit? You're not necessarily saying that, you know, not everybody has this gift of leadership that God really developed this or you learned it over time or what did you mean by that? So I do not feel like I am a gifted primarily as a leader. I think I have a lot of great gifts. I have a I lot think of you strong may be gifts. wrong in that. I'm telling you, I don't, <laughs> from this conversation and what I've seen and what you've done in the church, but no, seriously though, what does that look like? Well, um, there are, I mean, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, there are a list of spiritual gifts that God gives. I don't have the gift of leadership, but I've been able to lead a lot of things, but I have learned how to lead. My primary gifts are administration, teaching, and encouragement. And so when I show up somewhere, I'm going to teach something, I'm going to organize something, and I'm going to encourage people. That's not the same as people who are used to, like your giftedness obviously is more like that strong, either gifts of apostleship, um, gifts of leadership, perhaps even evangelism. Those tend to be the makeup that really land in a senior pastor's role. But it's important to know that we can add leadership skills, just like we can add any other skill set to our giftedness to make us better. We live in a very strong leadership culture in our time and age. And so leadership really matters. A hundred years ago, we lived in more of a shepherding culture. So counseling skills, gifts of mercy, um, all of those relationship skills were more the forefront of skill sets that people added to their giftedness. So when it comes to growing leaders of any kind, there are some that are going to be automatic easy leaders, um, more intuitive, and they're going to rise to the top quickly as long as they have the character developed they need to be able to do it. But everyone else needs to be trained. Everyone else needs to be mentored. And even those people gifted still need people coming around them and shaping and grooming them. So I think it's easy sometimes for high-level leaders, particularly apostolic senior pastors who are church planters, who have an entrepreneurial spirit, People who make it in that role tend to be very intuitively gifted. I kind of compare it to like uh, playing by ear, having perfect pitch. Those people make terrible music instructors because they've never not known what perfect pitch sounds like. They pick up a guitar and can play it within like an hour. The rest of us had to take years of piano lessons, (laughs) years of guitar lessons. I'm still on YouTube, right? So (laughs) for the rest of us, we need some help. So if you are that primary leader and you're like, I just want people who get it. I just want leaders who know what to do because that's what you did. You have to make sure you're not giving gift projection on all your leaders. You have to give training to people who need training. And we have to invest in that strategically and intentionally if we want our church to be who God created her to be. Yeah, you know, that is so good because I think you're right. I, you know, and, and speaking of guitar, I mean, I, I started playing the guitar and I, I took lessons for three years. I can't play a note. So I, that, I know what that's about. But put a basketball in my, hand in my hand and that's a whole different story. But isn't it true, though, there's people that have to invest in you. One of the things in your book that I was extremely um, thankful for is you talked about being an other. 
And so being this other person and, and I, you know, as I sit here today, you know, Mr. B, he was the, you know, my sec- seventh grade teacher who saw me walk in junior high and he's just like, he looked at me and he said, you know, I was pretty tall and lanky. And he's like, man, have you ever played basketball? And I'm like, no, I've never played. And he's like, hey, you know what? Why don't you do this? And on every Thursday, bring your lunch. We'll go into the gym and I'm going to teach you how to play basketball. And I mean, he saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. And the next thing I knew, I mean, that's what I did in high school. I went to college, played basketball. I mean, the benefits there, we have people that pour into us. And so you outlined three real specific relationships in developing female leaders. And I got to be honest, it really hit me because I had to ask myself, you know, am I doing this specifically with female leaders? I've got three daughters, two of them in in the business world. One of them's in college and she's studying. That's what I want to happen with them. So talk to us a little bit about what those relationships look like and where they can take you. Well, I love your basketball story. And I think that we, any leader who's doing anything can look back and see the people who poured into them because it's just not possible to grow without other people investing. And it is our responsibility as we begin to lead to pour that into others. But it's also really easy to fall into the trap of finding people just like us to pour into. And this is where leaders, particularly in church environments where women um, are not always included in the leadership, it's really easy to look for the young guy that kind of reminds you of you. Maybe right. he has a basketball body like like you did. So the basketball coach is going to notice him, right? I see myself in him and I'm so thankful for the people who poured into me. And that's wonderful. That needs to keep happening. We should not stop doing that. But as a leader, you also have to say, who are the other leaders I see? Even if they don't look like me and talk like me and will become someone who's a version of me, there's still leadership that I can develop in them. Can I see my leadership skills in these other people? And what can I do to steward them and invest in them? So I give three suggestions in the books that uh, leaders of any kind, but particularly male leaders can be challenging themselves. One is to be a mentor, a leadership mentor. Sometimes in our mindset, when we think of mentor, we assume spiritual mentor. And there are things when you're spiritually mentoring someone that's likely safer to do men with men and women with women. Although I would say in our LGBTQ world, that is not above reproach or an automatic safety measure. So we need to really rethink how we do that. But it is a little easier to kind of have that direct affinity. Uh, But when it comes to leadership, mentorship is very important. Mentorship is a closer personal relationship. There's a lot of dialogue, a lot of debrief. This is where we really take the people under our leadership and grow them as leaders in a way that's supportive. It's somewhat parental. It's like a leadership parent that's going to talk to you, give you feedback, and really encourage you along your way and be a sounding board for what you're struggling with. Uh, The second role is that of a sponsor. So if a mentor talks with you, a sponsor talks about you. And that's because in leadership roles, you have access to meetings and decisions that most people lower in the organization will never get the opportunity to be a part of. When you're a sponsor, you can nominate people. If you have a new campus coming up, if you're moving all your services online because there's a worldwide pandemic, you know the people who are up and coming who would be love the opportunity to jump into a new initiative, who would love to spend a year doing a project, who would love to launch the new campus and could be you know, a lower level role at a brand new campus where you learn so much and it's such a growing time for a young leader. You know those people. So part of our responsibility as leaders is to be watching the congregation, watching ourselves 
staff roles, watching the internship, seeing and being connected with people who are successful in the marketplace that we want to recruit into church, knowing who those people are, understanding what the call and giftedness is on their life, knowing what they're passionate about, so that when we're in the meeting talking about who can do something, we're bringing five or six names to the table. That's what a sponsor is. And then the last one is that of a coach. And a coach is more that person who gets in your face and pushes you beyond what you think you can do. The coach is the one role that I think is worth keeping uh, female coaches for female leaders because there are things that you have to push in on that are hard for a guy to understand. It's going to be hard for a guy to give me advice on that that skirt I wore on Sunday doing the announcements that was a little too short, right? It's going to be hard for a guy to understand my sticky floor mentality where I'm letting insecurity take over or I feel like an imposter or I want to take myself out of leadership rather than be fired. There's, There's things I can say to a female leader that it's going to be harder for a guy because it's a different journey. But that's just like 10 to 15% of it. But women need other women role models and coaches. Most churches have that built in in their dynamic. There are men, leaders, and coaches and people pouring into them automatically because they're on the team. Women don't have that. So you have to pay for it, invest in them, and reap the benefits of great coaching. Wow, that's really helpful because, you know, and it really challenged me as I read through the book again that, you know, I, I mean, how can I put myself in a place where I am that sponsor, where I'm really an advocate, almost a cheerleader, you know, a cheerleader for people in our church to really achieve that next thing. You talk about this whole sticky floor thing. Can you just develop that a little bit more? Because I think a lot of times you write about the fact that there's glass ceilings, but what is the sticky floor? Because I think that's one of the hindrances for guys, if I'm honest, that we don't really think this and touch on that 160 tendency, mm. because that really was enlightening for me with three daughters. <laughs> <laughs> it's an eye opener, isn't it? Yeah. So um, the glass ceiling are kind of those organizational things that block women from advancing in leadership. And hopefully you're popping the hood on your HR systems and taking a look at that. In the church, we call it the stained glass ceiling. Uh, but the sticky floor is sort of the opposite end. It's those things that keep a female leader's feet stuck to the floor that prevents her from growing and prevents her from taking advantage of opportunities that you actually have open for her. A lot of this is inherited. It comes from our families of origin. It comes from the cultures we grew up in, the churches we grew up in a lot of times. And that is when we haven't grown up seeing a lot of women lead in strong and godly ways. We maybe have seen godly women. We maybe have seen strong leaders, but we have rarely seen those two put together together, particularly in a ministry setting, it's really hard to imagine ourselves doing it. It's kind of like if you grow up in, I don't know, um, a family full of lawyers, it makes total sense you'd become a lawyer because you know all these things about lawyers, but becoming a plumber feels totally out of the realm of possibility for you, right? But that's what it can feel like to a woman. It's like, we're doing all these things. Like I know how to work in the nursery and I know how to do, you know, food for the funeral, but teaching or um, leading an initiative or running a capital campaign or anything like that just feels so foreign because I've never seen anyone like me do it. And what happens is we get this sticky floor in our mind. It's kind of these internal dialogues and uh, limiting conversations that hold us back. So the research you're referring to, the 6100, is the way men and women look at leadership opportunities so differently because of this way we've been nurtured um, in our growing up years. When a guy looks at a leadership opportunity like a job description, 
description. It could be for his career. It could be a volunteer role in his church. When he looks at the job description, if he feels confident of about 60% of what's on that job description, he applies for the job. He figures he's going to get it. Uh, He'll start with confidence. If he doesn't know what he's doing, he's going to fake it till he makes it or he'll Google it or he'll call his dad or something or no one will notice, but he's going to crush it, right? This is his mentality. I got this job and I am going to crush this thing. Right. I'm I'm going after it. There's no no stopping me. This is, I am completely able to do this. When a woman looks at a opportunity like that job description, again, in her career or in the church as even a volunteer, she has to feel a hundred percent confident of everything on the job description, or she won't even apply for the opportunity. Think about that. She won't even apply. Now, in most leadership environments, when we want to identify who the leaders are, we throw out an opportunity and we see who raises their hand, who's putting their name in the hat, who's got the energy, who's got the passion, who's going for it. Well, that is a great way to find confident leaders, but it's not a great way to find perfectionistic leaders who are holding back. And which, by the way, people who are perfectionistically driven are great leaders, but they want to be awesome all the time and they want to be great from day one. So as leaders, we really have an opportunity to step over that sticky floor. And when you see a high capacity female leader who's not going for opportunities, you need to have a conversation with her. Tell me what's going on. Why would you not apply for this job? Let me explain to you why I think you would be perfect for this role. Let me look at the job description for you and explain to you why you're already doing most of this or you have the capacity, or we will take six months to train you, or we don't expect anyone to be good at this for at least a year. Just help her look at that job description like you or any other guy that's been groomed to lead would look at the job description. You just want equal footing. Even if she decides not to do it, even if you decide not to hire her, at least let her look at herself honestly the way you would look at her applying for that role. And so that's why it's important for leaders to know that's probably what's going on in their mindset. And go out of their way, even if you just choose two or three women this year that are clear, they're running schools, right? They've got their big, they've got their pink Cadillac in your parking lot. You know, they clearly can lead, right? right? I'm not talking to you to take a chance on someone who like comes in like, you know, half an hour late and her kids haven't eaten breakfast. I'm talking about the people who are doing things. They clearly can lead and then just have a conversation. Help me understand what it's like to be a woman leader who's so successful, but isn't doing a lot of leadership here. Help me understand that because most of us who have done leadership in church, we know the standard is actually not that high, especially as a volunteer. (laughs) You're just glad someone showed up on time and like uses God's name correctly. So it's not a, a high level, but women internally are putting that standard on themselves. And to be honest, there's a bigger barrier in the church because, uh, we don't want to disappoint you. We don't want to disappoint ourselves, but we really don't want to disappoint God. So when you take people's spiritual life and you have a perfectionistic God tendency and a work mentality, man, just having that conversation not only looses a leader in your church, but you actually release her from an incorrect theology that's holding her back in all parts of her life. She's telling you she's not living to her fullest. We just have to be willing to notice and do something about it. Wow, that's really powerful. I mean, that is that, that that right there is gold. You talk in developing female leaders about safe spaces. You know, it, we're living in a world. Uh, Me too. Sexual harassment issues are being exposed all around. Can you talk a little bit about the male female employee relationships, specifically in the church, and how we can create you know as leaders safe spaces in leadership so that we can really see women thrive 
and see them reach their fullest potential with. I think there's some things that are happening that are preventing us from doing that. Yeah, there's a lot of information in the church. And I would say this is something that I feel like is still finding its new iteration. Most of us have been living off the Billy Graham rule, which I personally am a huge proponent of. I have been the beneficiary of that. I have. Uh, I am proud to say that I've been in ministry since I've been 14 years old, and I have, which is a few decades at this point. Uh, I have never had anything inappropriate from a spiritual leader um, that has not thrown me off my game. It has not been. In, I've had some really awkward moments that ha- we can laugh about now, but um, I'm very thankful for all of those protections. Um, the problem is those were written in 1948, and they don't really protect us like we think. I mentioned uh, women mentoring women and men mentoring men. I see the same thing in leadership circles. I actually don't think the Billy Graham rule goes far enough and protect us nearly enough. And we've been living in a little bit of a Christian bubble, thinking that we're safe. We are not safe. So some senior pastor taking a young seminary grad with him to a conference, sharing a room, eating all their meals together, that is no longer above reproach. We cannot do that anymore. We cannot do that. But when we do even those things, we're still excluding women from going to the conference and from learning everything that we can from a leader. And those things are really important. So one of my key suggestions is to retweak an old leadership phrase that says, take always take someone with you. You've probably heard it. And that's the idea that we want to double our time in leadership development. So if you're going to a hospital to do a crisis intervention, if you're leading a funeral, if you're going to a conference, always just take someone with you. And we should do that. But my challenge is to always take at least two people with you. So take two people to the hospital, talk about going to the hospital and ministering to people, uh, show up and let them watch you, then talk about it on the way home. Grab those leadership development moments, take them to the conference with you, but take two people with you. Take two guys, take two girls, take a guy and a girl, but multiply your coverage and multiply your leadership development issues. As a leadership development person who spends a lot of time in this expertise, I will tell you, you do a couple things when you do that. First of all, you send a message that everyone can have time with you eventually. So even if you aren't taking loads of women with you, it's okay, but start including some of them and let everybody on the team know there is an opportunity to spend time with you because there's nothing like spending time, especially with the top leader. Secondly, you not only invest in one, you invest in two at the same time. So you're automatically doubling your effort. That just makes good calendar sense. And third, you're giving them the gift of a peer. And one of the things that's really trapped us in our leadership development cycles, in my opinion, in the church, is that we've overemphasized mentoring and underemphasized the Barnabases of our life. So too many Pauls, not enough Barnabases, not enough Timothys. And so when you take someone with you and you give them a peer to learn from, this is their person they're locking arms with, you're equipping them for their entire life in ministry. You can only spiritually parent someone for so long. You're going to retire and go do something else and you leave them without anybody. Give them a peer that they can do life with, that they can talk with, all that. You're building not only better leaders, you're building a culture of leadership because it doesn't involve you. And you know you've got a leadership culture when they build one another up without your involvement. You know you have a hierarchy of leadership when they always need you to show up in order to grow. You know, that is such a biblical principle if we just stop and think about it. It really challenged me because, you know, in in the way kind of I run, it's like, you know, it's not always in the meeting. It's the meeting after the meeting. It's the driving the car. It's the conversation on the phone. It's the, you know, it's the things that happen outside the meetings that sometimes are the most helpful 
in people learning and people growing. And so what we need to do is be a little bit more strategic. We really need to rethink how many people can go. And do you have a a female that you could really pour into in your staff or they could really gravitate to a, a different level of leadership if you would just let them in? I think as senior leaders at times, we can just go go get it done with the people that we're most comfortable with. And to, you know, to have that Paul, Timothy, Barnabas principle, I mean, let's face it, Jesus, he had the 12, but he, he went with the three, you know what I mean? The three went and saw a bunch of stuff, you know? And so are you going with a three and would you open up that three to include some different perspective that in the long run is really going to benefit the church and, and where you're headed. I, that, that is such a good, good principle for us to think about. You've talked about pretty extensively about how to have conversations with female employees about career aspirations and family aspirations. Can you walk us through what that looks like for a pastor to have that conversation with you know the person that's working for them? Give us some coaching. Yes. Well, uh, it is a, it can feel like a very awkward conversation. And I think my biggest piece of advice is just to try to open up the dialogue for all of our staff to be open and honest with things. Now we can't discriminate against people because they choose to have children um, or make decisions on their future in the career because we feel like we pastorally know what's better for them and their family. But I will tell you, pastors do that to women all the time. And so I've heard many stories of women who were overlooked for promotions or not given leadership opportunities because they felt they were going to have kids soon, or they already had kids and they didn't want them to feel, quote, pressure um, with a new job and to have to choose between being a mom and being a professional. And I would just say, There's a lot of great pastoral advice in those conversations, but the key is to have the conversation, not to decide for the person. So that would be the first thing is that if you're wondering about it, then ask about it with the heart that you want to help women keep in ministry and stay in the calling that God has given them. Now, women have a lot of callings, just like men have a lot of callings. Women tend to be bigger and broader and last longer is my theory. And so (laughs) we're juggling many of them at the same time, but it does doesn't mean there's not an answer. I think one of the um one of the the most important things is to think long-term for your church. So if you take me, for example, I ended up having one son. Um, and so I was able to go part-time, but I kept my role on the ex- working directly for the executive pastor. But I just had got to cut out like the 20 meetings that, to be really honest, aren't that necessary to do my job. So that when I came back to work after being home with my son for a few years, it was easier to step back in. Well, guess what? They have my loyalty more than any other place because they were worked with me and I got to keep growing. I got to keep going on the retreat. I got to keep being a part of the discussions. Now, on the other hand, when I was working full-time, I had to cut my hours back. I was committed to leaving the office at a certain time to pick my son up from school because for who he is and his personality, that was critical, which meant I missed like the last 90 minutes of the day. And we all know in the office, the last 90 minutes (laughs) of the day is sometimes the most important. Everybody's hanging out. No one's getting anything done, but everyone's solving problems in the hallway. I had to be okay with the fact that I was missing out on a lot of those relationships. I was missing out a lot of those hallway conversations. I didn't have time to read all the books everybody was reading. So there were pieces that I was sacrificing, but it wasn't putting my job in jeopardy. It was just putting a portion of it differently. I had to lead differently because of it. So there's a give and take on both sides when you're trying to squeeze a lot of things in together. But the key is that you want to make sure you're having open dialogue. You want to give 
welcome invitation for women to talk about family planning. I mean, we should be the best place for moms to work because we value family and kids more than anybody else. But we should also be the place that knows that you can have a calling and be in ministry, even if you aren't working full time. And I actually think the biggest hindrance to the church doing a good job at this is that we have such a split between staff and volunteer leadership. We think of our org chart as who's paid on staff versus who's actually the leaders in the church. So let's just say I'm a small, I'm overseeing all the small groups at a campus and I decide I want to go down part time and have a baby. Well, I can still stay in small group ministry. I should stay in small group. Say I don't even want to work at the church. Can I still coach 20 or 30 Uh, small group leaders as a volunteer. I hope you will let me do that as a volunteer so I can stay in my leadership role. I can stay in ministry. I can stay in the loop of things, but I'm not getting a paycheck, but that shouldn't take me off your radar as a senior leader to say, this is one of the strongest leaders we have in our church. So we have the opportunity to keep people engaged way more than the marketplace, but we have to think creatively and we have to think holistically about our entire congregation, not just the payroll HR people. Wow, that's really good. That's really powerful. I know you wrote the book primarily for, well, I don't know. I, you know, it, it is interesting because I think you wrote it and I, I'm just going to recommend every every male. <laughs> I wrote it ministry. for the men. I wrote I it for did. the guy. It's like, it's like, it's like <laughs> we're so ignorant. The girls don't need this yeah, information. They, they don't need it at all. They all know it. They're living it. It's like, finally, we're understanding what's happening. But but seriously, I would recommend to any um, you know male leader uh, in the church, outside the church, is it's just a really helpful resource to think about some of the blind spots that we have, some of the things that we're thinking on that we we don't see. What do you see male leaders missing and in advancing and developing female leaders in the organizations? What are some examples that you would say just in the church? How are men missing it? What are some examples of things that we could do, even if they're low bar examples of how can we get started in this to really promote and unlock the potential of more female leadership in our congregations? Well, I think the biggest barrier, to be really honest, is that we have so many wonderful, godly male pastors who are doing such great work in the kingdom. And so I'm teasing about who I wrote the book for, but I really wrote it for them. I'm I'm not interested in the guys who don't want women leading or don't think that women have something to offer. They don't like to talk to me anyway. I'm talking about the pastors I get to work with through my work at Leadership Network or through consulting or coaching or just being in the multi-site space. I mean, these are godly, great, amazing pastor leaders who want to do a good job stewarding all the giftedness and all that God has called them to in their church, but they know there's something missing, right? They know it's not unlocked and they hear it from maybe their wife or their, you know, a young adult daughter or from some women who are close to them, but they can't put their finger on what it is and they don't know what to do. And it's such a minefield. Why would you even step into it? Like things aren't that broken, right? Like hopefully we're just keeping everybody together. And I just want to say, yes, especially in these times, I mean, God has just uh, allowed a major disruption to the church. And so we have to rethink how we do everything. And that is going to be the solution that's going to help churches move forward. And so we have to be open to being different about how we approach this. And so I would say the most important thing to do is just to 
ask those women in your ministry that you know and trust their leadership. I'm not talking about the women you trust. Like this might not be a question for your wife. It might not be a question for the elder's wife or her or his daughter. I'm talking about women that you see leadership and you're scratching your head going, why would she not bring her gifts into the kingdom? Ask her, what is it like to be a female leader here? Help me understand what it's like to be a woman who leads under my leadership, my pastoral leadership, and then just really listen to the answer. I mean, there might be a moment where you go, oh, good, we're not doing so bad. But chances are (laughs) there's going to be quite a few things that you're going to have to humble yourself, take off your own filter of your own experience and the way you were developed, and really be open and not be defensive and just hear what it's like. Because it, the truth will always set us free, right? And these women are facing this reality, whether or not you are willing to look at it. But if you're willing to look at it, I'm telling you, even if you do one thing this year, just one thing, you could open up a huge amount of momentum for the women on your team and for the mission that God has called you to. So it doesn't, it, you don't have to overhaul everything that you do, but you do need to start working on it. And if we can all start working on it, it's going to open up not only our practices and our cultures for women. To me, the reason I'm so passionate about this topic is because I believe this is the gateway opportunity to open up leadership and opportunities for all the minorities that God is calling us to be in community with and to reach. And right now, if we don't question our own practices and our own mindset and our own biases that we've been inherited, that we've inherited, if we aren't willing to look at that critically and decide if that really matches our theology and what we believe God has called us to, then we're going to miss out on what God is really about to do here. Wow, that is so powerful. And I, you know, I think as you're talking about it, it's just like begin with the conversation and if you really are listening, we're going to learn. There's going to be something that, you know, that you can retool and retweak as we make these kind of changes. I mean, um, I, I don't, we, I've always looked at it, you know, in the church and it's like stage time, you know, it's so important in ministry, just having different people uh, up on stage, taking the lead in certain opportunities to gather in prayer. What will you do and, and how much leadership opportunity are you willing to give to promote female leadership within the body? Yes. And even if all we do is acknowledge what's already happening, you can make great movement. It's not even like you got to promote some woman and do something big. I'm just saying, uh, yes, as you mentioned, bringing small group leaders who are women on stage and letting her pray for the offering, that changes everything. Making sure you've got women giving announcements about ministries besides women's ministry, that changes things. So there's a lot we can do in the culture. And the book has just hundreds of ideas, very practical ideas, steps you can take. You'll find the right step for your church and your culture. And even where you're at in leadership, there's always something to do. But as long as you get moving, you won't miss it. If you stay stuck, I think there's a chance you could miss the opportunity. Yeah, I love that about it. That's what's so refreshing about this work. And I know you've devoted so much time to it and your life, really, you're living it. You're just, this is what you've been learning in ministry. And it's really helping push us along to get to a place I really do believe that God wants. And uh, I just really appreciate the impact you've had uh, here on our church as you've spoken in through our senior leadership. And it's it's just really opened up our eyes to to think about what can we do differently 
uh, in this day as we really want to maximize really all the leaders in our church. I mean, you know, God's bringing people into the body and, and why would we hinder ourselves when, when we can do so much more? Well, I'm sure that I've missed something. Is there anything else that you want to add? What's on your heart that we've might've missed in this, you know, great conversation about female developing female leaders within the church? Well, I just want to give a shout out to any of the women who are listening and just an encouragement that I really do see God moving in this topic in the hearts of pastors like you and many other people. I I believe we've miscalculated what the real issues are, and that's part of why I'm working hard to try and bring some awareness and education to what is really going on. Um, but I just want to encourage you as female leaders to not give up. Please don't take yourself out of the game. Please don't give up. I think we need you now more than ever. And so hang in there, talk to your leaders, um, look at the resources we have available, just stay connected, stay in the game. Uh, I really do believe God is doing something beautiful through you, and he's going to continue to do that as he brings more fruit to your ministry and the ministry you're a part of. Well, this has been a gift to our listeners, that is for sure. I just love your perspective as your desire is to help leaders across all kinds of theological spectrums to unify together to really, you know, see women uplifted in the body of Christ in the leadership gifts that they possess. So, uh, so thankful. Um, go ahead and share with, uh, with us what you're up to these days as far as your company and where people can find you online. Yes. So I've got lots of resources on my website, katiecole.com. That's K-A-D-I-C-O-L-E, including um, my most popular resource is a theological cheat sheet that really helps you analyze the theological view and the culture of your church or even your own perspective. That is a really helpful tool, um, especially as a leader to bring some alignment to that. Uh, we also have a Facebook group for female leaders. So all of that's on my website. That's the best way to um, get resources or if you want to shoot me an email through there. And you can follow me on social media at Katie Cole. Oh, that's awesome. Well, thanks, Katie. I'm going to tell you that cheat sheet was really good because it really does identify, you know, some of the things that we can look at and really make things clear as we push forward to try to make sure that we're not discounting ourselves and we're really developing leaders that can really lead the church. And that concludes both men and women. Well, we want to thank you so much for being with us today. It's just a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for taking the time out of your busy schedule to spend some time with us here. Well, thank you so much. It's been an honor and love everything you guys are doing. That was our friend Katie Cole talking about developing female leaders. Well, now it's part of the show where we bring it all home. Here's what we're doing. We're pulling up some chairs around the kitchen table again, and we're asking, how do we apply these principles? How do we continue these conversations? How do we even disagree with each other agreeably? I'm Steve Smith, joined now by Lena Abujamra of Living With Power Ministries, Derek Puckett, pastor of Renewal Church in Chicago, Illinois, and Ron Zappia, founder and lead pastor of High Point Church. Well, hey, Lena and uh, Pastor Derek, man, thanks for being with us. And of course, Pastor Ron, as we have this conversation, what an amazing conversation with Katie Cole. I yes. mean, come on. You talk about a powerhouse yeah. leader who's bringing some heat. Katie's bringing it. And uh, on, on some hard topics, needed topics, hey, our goal today is we just want to take that conversation right. and kind of bring it bring it back to the table. I like I like this 
this idea of think about like a Thanksgiving table, right? And you kind of put put the, put the main dish in the middle of the table, and yeah. some of it's going to taste sweet, and some of it's going to be a little bitter, and some of it's going to be a little spicy, and and there's going to be some debates even around that. Thanksgiving I, I like table. this picture so, around yeah. the around the table because just having some dinner with Lena and my good friend Derek and Steve. I don't know how you got the invite, but we're all ready to go. I That's mean, right. come on, let's do it. Well, hey, I'd love to start with this. Katie brought up this idea. We've all heard of this idea of the the Billy Graham rule. And uh, it was 1948 that Billy Graham uh, (laughs) came up up with this. And people might not know what it is. So let me kind of set the stage. He was... You know, resolve to really avoid any situation that could have any appearance of compromise, any appearance of suspicion. And so everybody kind of talks about interaction with men and and women and traveling together, eating together, not wanting there to be any sexual impropriety. Uh, But he actually had four parts of it. He he had a financial piece uh, to it, how they interact with local churches, and then a publicity uh, piece. But Katie kind of you know, just leaves it on the table. Is this still helpful? Well, I think, you know, I, I think the key word in that was integrity. Like, so let's just paint the picture right for him. Cause I think for them, they were doing it out of response of mm-hmm. so many people were abusing what was happening in ministry. And I mean, we could talk for hours on that is the abuse that was happening. So he set up the guardrail. Right. And so the guardrail yep. was there to help you keep on path. The question is, did it do it? And maybe it did for him. Is it doing it for everybody else? The Billy Graham rule is interesting because how do you practice high-level leadership among churches that traditionally have been male-run leadership arenas and still maintain, again, like Pastor Ron says, this integrity piece of it, which I think is critical. What I found interesting in 2020 is how many conservative evangelicals have thrown, you know, pushed back and said, man, I don't know about this Billy Graham rule. And I've read a lot of opinions on the fact that that rule is sort of bogus and like, you know, it gives you the semblance of protection and not. And I got to be honest with you, I'm a fan, I'm a single and I'm a single woman and I run sort of, you know, High capacity, and so I think you know. I Hold even on. in my uh, workplace, right? she's pushing the gas pedal at all times, right? man. But, but I, I, I mean, can't even get a word in edgewise when I'm talking. Okay, I'll shut up in a second. No, but but I mean, listen, here. listen. I mean, I, I think this Billy Graham rule as a single woman has served me well, yeah. even in the workplace. So wow. whereas I've seen the other side of it now, the church pushing back, going, "Man, you guys are shutting up women from serving because yeah. you can't let them be alone one on one with a man." And I'm going, like, why is there a situation where right. you need to put yourself in that situation. Furthermore, Katie takes it a step further. Be careful, not just with one man and one woman, right. but yeah. in 2020, this temptation that is yes. among same-sex you know, orientation and on and on and on. And I thought that was, was worth noting and saying, hmm, that is a very, very smart, wise um, right. perspective. Yeah, it's yeah. a valid distinction. So she, she actually almost like pushes it a little bit further, saying we, we might need some, right. some different guardrails. We might need some, some, some higher fences, you know, some things that put some protections in uh in place and, and i think ron hit hit a little, little bit and katie you've talked about it but I, it's not that i don't think that the billy graham rule is not in effect it's just how does it play out for different leaders in terms of for myself my big thing is you got to know yourself you got to know right. um, like ron said you have to have guardrails if i know who i am my attraction if you want to say and who if i'm in a room with uh, a lady by myself and i know i shouldn't or i can't do that or i can't control my own self um, then, then I probably shouldn't do that without somebody actually in the office with me. Or um, and so, I think you have to have your own guardrails. But 
there also has to be some type of standard uh, as I'm passing the church in terms of what are we actually going to abide by in the church? What are we going to do? Um, you know, what is the weaker brother going to perceive if they see me, if you bring that's in good. that whole scripture and just what does it look like if I'm riding down the street with a woman in my car that's not my wife right. and they have no idea uh, and she's in the front seat with me and we're just talking, what, what are they perceiving? And again, you can't think about all these things to the point where it stops you from doing ministry, but I think it's more so about, you know, what are, what are the guardrails I have for myself? And is this, am I thinking about everybody else in this picture too? And so for me, for, for instance, I don't, you know, I don't ride in the car with a female that's not my wife without somebody in the car with me. Right. You know? So that's just something I do for myself. It's not even about the female, it's about me. Um, or if I'm meeting in the office with somebody, I make sure somebody's in the office, uh, sure. not necessarily in the room, but inside the office, um, with me. So I just have my own boundaries that I put up for myself, but I wouldn't necessarily say it's the Billy Graham rule all the way down the line, if that makes sense. Yeah. And like you said, like even the perception of what the, you know, Hey, you're driving down and what, man, what's Derek doing? And, and who's this, yeah. you know, in, in his car and all that. It was interesting that over the, the last few years, um, there were stories coming out of more men that were working, you know, in Wall Street, the financial industry were actually starting to, especially like at the peak of the Me Too movement and, and yeah. all that of saying, man, this isn't just a church thing. Like this right. isn't just a Christian leader thing. And Lena, you're, you're a doctor. I mean, you're, you're in the, in the workplace every day. I'd be interested to hear your perspective on the workplace. Well, I don't even, I don't even do a patient exam without a third party in a room. Yeah. I mean, certain parts of the exam. And so yeah, there's right. so much that goes into this, so that relationship. But I think Katie really does such a great point of saying, look at this as an opportunity. So even her idea of saying a major leader who's busy in the church, you know, you're trying to raise up leaders. This whole podcast episode was about raising up leaders and not leaving out 61% of the church. Yeah, right. Many of those right. are high capacity women who are basically walking into the church and going, I got nothing to do here. And so they basically, you know, after a while, they might start off by going, well, I can contribute. And so they're given to the church and like, that's how God's using me. But you're frustrated. After a while, you're like, well, I'm going to go somewhere where they're going to use my gifts. As a, Now you create an environment where the leader's going, okay, well, I'm not going to be one-on-one with someone because I know myself. And I, you know, I sort of am thinking about all these layers of, of wisdom. But this is such a great opportunity to get a team of people, maybe a couple of people in the car to go and say, all right, let's use these 15-minute right. drive to, to drive some of our leadership, you know, um, culture, you know, leadership skills, whatever it is that you're trying to pass on and, and raise up sort of this core group of people in your church that are an opportunity to do the work that needs to be done for the kingdom in a world that desperately needs it. I think, Lena, you are, that's really interesting to me because I think the whole two by two thing really hit me hard as I was reading this book. And, you know, I've, I've known um, about Katie and her ministry and Steve, she, she's really helped mentor you yeah. in a lot of areas, but I think, you know, specifically just go on record. I do too. I, I practice these things. When I got into ministry 20 years ago, we started this church. Like, you know, we would do these things. Hey, I'm not going to counsel a woman alone. We're going to have the door open. Somebody's going to be there. I'm, I'm not going to go to dinner. I'm not going to, you know, all those kinds of things. So, so I just want to say, yes, it's it's true that certainly I do those things. I don't think any external regulation is going to cause mm. a wayward heart to, right. to be yeah. fixed. Right. You know what I mean? right. But yeah. but just to get on point with what you were saying, Lena, I think what I missed was was that as we're trying to raise up women in positions of leadership, and I'm trying to train a staff, and as our staff has gotten more diverse. And, you know, more females mm-hmm. on our staff at higher level of right. leadership. But what they were saying was, and I'd love to hear your guys' take on this. What they were saying was, is, man, you've created a situation where it's the boys club. And, yeah. you know, the, the real leadership training happens, 
you right. know, over the cigar or, you know right, what I mean, or right. in the car or after the meeting that we didn't get invited to. And I, so I w- that's I was, the key. I've been serving at a church in a high leadership capacity, and they would have retreats for leaders where the women were not yeah. invited. And right. it was, and I know that at the heart of that was probably, a, you know, it's a guy yeah. thing, as you're saying, right. but it creates a culture that I think, you know, sort of puts up barriers to women, which I think is really the, the thing that I think Katie brings to the table is say, look, whether theologically you are for women pastors or not, this is not where we're going. Right. We're saying there are women who in the church and any church can serve God in their leadership mm-hmm. gifts. I mean, God, in all of the passages on the gifts, I don't see any language that says, oh, by the way, these yeah. three gifts are only male gifts, right? right? We know that. And so how then do you use women in the church to expand the kingdom of God in a way that honors your biblical belief theologically. Yeah, I wonder yeah. what you guys think about, you know, because we're talking about, okay, great, uh, some some better fences, some more other fences that are going to kind of help on this topic of, of purity. But but the flip side of and everybody's kind of affirmed, hey, we, we, we like, at least in theory, the Billy Graham rule, we practice it. But but then the flip side is it's like, okay, well, I'm not in the car with that woman. I'm not traveling with that woman or that man. And and so then there where are the leadership development opportunities? And so then that gets minimized. So Katie, she flips it, she expands it and says, Well, hey, for all these issues, take the principle of always take somebody with you, which mm-hmm. is kind of a long, you know. Uh, everybody knows that principle. It's just, hey, double your investment. Always bring somebody with you to the, the hospital, like she talked about. Bring somebody. I know, but let's, you know, the Steve, the thing is, though, <laughs> pastors don't do it. <laughs> and they, I'm, yeah. I, right? Come on, let's speak right. some truth there. Because we, we just yeah. got to get the work done, or there's right. some guys that want to just hog the ministry, and they don't, don't do it. So honestly, that's a whole principle that gets neglected yeah. at times. Right. So, so you're, now you're like, you're they right, don't even right. take one. Like, take two, take three. And, you know, I, I, I wholeheartedly agree with what Ron was just saying. And uh, I think some of the things that have formed me as a pastor and um, and in my leadership training was the the times that I got to go. I studied under Brian Lawrence, so got to go study with him and go on a trip with him. And it was usually more than one of us. And we're sitting around a fire with other leaders around the country. I'm invited into those same conversations yeah. and they would have those times with him. And I try to practice the same things at our church from the beginning, which was not easy planting the church and right. having residents and people in the church that you're pouring into. Mm-hmm. We have women at a residence at our church, too. And I would say one of the late the, the, the uh, executive administrator at our church, actually, she runs pretty much everything at our church. Um, and she's she started in kids ministry and just recognizing her leadership to where she just kind of kept continually going up. So, and she's running pretty much the church and managing the staff. And so I agree with what she was saying because we get mixed up in the complementarian versus the egalitarian debate and we're missing out on the leaders there. I'm raised by a single mom, you know, so I've seen strong women my whole life raise me. So for me to go into church ministry, even though I may see, okay, the position of elders, male, we see this in the Bible, these different things, that doesn't mean this woman cannot lead. I've seen strong leaders. And so if she has the leadership ability and she can actually raise up other leaders within the church, what does it look like for me to put her in a position to win? to to do well not only for the church but the body as a whole and so i i agree you know take it i try to take people with me every time i can just because i think leadership you you kind of learn through osmosis sometimes more than just reading a book or uh just sitting in a meeting it's the conversation after the conversation where you're actually learning more so that's what i would say Totally. The meeting after the meeting. That's usually like where yeah. the money shot's at. You know, <laughs> right. you're finally debriefing everything. And they, yeah. then you cut people out of that meeting 
that that you, you lose so much leadership development. And, and, and that's a gift. That's a leadership development thing in my in my mind because I think Pastor Ron, you're right. I mean, I, the more responsibilities I have, the less time right. I like. As a doctor, I saw it in residency. Right. Would come the medical students would show up and we'd be like, "Oh, why are they here?" Like, and, and you know, what? not that you don't believe in the system, but you were like, "I don't have time for this today." And the busier right. the shift, the less you wanted to train them. And so there is a part of a, a, a leader sort of seeing that need and and then investing in it regardless. But I still think the pushback in this episode is going to go back to women who are now listening going, dude, that's great. But in my church, they right. don't let women do anything right. but serve. Right. You can you can right. be lead teacher in the children's ministry. Right. But how do you convince a church, elder board, a church? I think this is where the debate is going to really flourish, which is sort of like, how do I get my church to see my gifts and then open up a place for me? I'm not even looking at getting in a car with a senior pastor. I just want to serve here yep. on campus. How do you create that environment if you you're that person, not the leader, but that person trying to serve God more faithfully. And right. I think so, it's a cultural thing. I mean, let's just be, you know, it's not only theological, but culturally speaking. I talk yeah. to a lot of pastors and see a lot of things where, you know, it's like women aren't invited to do certain things, little things um, from the stage up front, you know. Um, it, it's the upfront time and the things that we can often do. I mean, I, I know, you know, Steve, we've served together for, for the last 10 years and like it just drives me a little crazy when there's no women involvement in the service. Like I can't really deal with it. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> totally true. I, uh, on the stage and in the room, it's like right. it seems right. like those are two, yeah. in church world at least, like, yeah, What's happening exactly. take uh, on the stage and then in the room where the decisions are are, are being made? I, I wanted to I wanted to uh, go back to Lena though real quick on, you know you you've been you're a high capacity leader. You've talked about uh, being a doctor, but you've been in in positions of authority in large churches where you've had a lot of influence for the the the, the pastor who's listening, specifically a male senior pastor listening, mm-hmm. and and it's just they don't have any female leaders in high positions of authority. Mm. I'd right. be interested to hear you coach that pastor or rebuke that pastor or right. no, I'm just, whatever. Well, it, you I know. mean, I, first of all, I think, well, I, I, I laugh in my head because I think one way God does it is give somebody four girls. I think, do you have four daughters, Ron? So, <laughs> yeah, I, I think there is something that happens when you have a household of women. How many you got? Derek's, oh, Derek's, ah, Derek's got, so, Derek's got the four. So, right, once they hit their teenage years, like, I just think there's no way. Like, we're living in a culture now where that is going to change a dynamic. There's no right. way you can live in the U.S. in that environment in a home and not see, like, you love your daughters, you want them to grow up, mm. doing the most they can do. My dad right. in some ways was like a chauvinist but on the other hand if I were ever not to do as he's died now but right. he was one of those Arab men that you know in some ways thought a woman should be in the kitchen except for his daughters it was like <laughs> if I did anything less than being a doctor he would have That's had a fit hilarious. and so wow. my my thoughts to, to well first of all pastors listen to someone like a Katie Cole who right. has stood the test of time who is humble and wise and has written about it in a way that is so respectful second the things like pastor is describing. I mean, I get invited to this table. Do you know my jaws like on the ground, right? Not because I know you and I and I. <laughs> but but when you start doing little steps, right. they say yeah. so much. Do you not think your church is aware that you've invited people to sit on a table that you've had the conversation with Katie? Your your members will see that and that will speak volumes. So the little things that mean so much over time. It's not That's a good. one thing. Now I also would say I would have a word to the 
person to woman who's listening, like myself, who grows up sort of thinking, well, I know God wants me to do this. I'm wired this way. What am I supposed to do? And my advice to that person is don't leave that church. That yeah. is a mistake I'm seeing happen over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. People like Katie Cole, people like myself who've been able to accomplish anything for the Lord by God's grace. He's put it there. It's because at some point you've decided, God, if you've got this for me, then you're going to have to do this. And I really believe that God is faithful who called you who will do it. So yeah. I don't think the onus is all on the pastor. Yeah. It's right. also on the woman in the church who are going, okay, maybe they're not there yet, but let's prayerfully come to the table and, and ask God to create space and, and do right. what you do in order to, to serve God faithfully. I, I really, Lena, I'd love to press in on this for a moment because what really hit me as a you know father of daughters who I believe could do anything and yeah. still do support them, you know, two of them are uh, in great uh, you know, professional careers. And so, but when Katie said, and I've talked to her before, we've talked to her about this in, in, in the book, she talked a little bit about the fact that, you know, women will see the opportunity different and think to themselves, well, I can't do that or I'm not qualified or, and then a guy might have a different perspective. Yeah. Did you see that where it's like, oh no, I'm, I'm on it, man. I can, I can do that where the guy's really, you know, he's puffing his chest right. up. Yeah, she's, really, like, she's like, if the guy sees a, sees a <laughs> right. job description right. that you can do like six, six, say, yeah. 60% of, he's like, I got yeah. it. <laughs> I got right. it. I can yeah. crush this job. But and then, I, you know. I had that conversation with my daughter yeah. who is in the, you know, in, in the corporate world. And yeah. I mean, it's. It's true, isn't it? Honestly, I think you're right. I think that there are a lot of women in the church who could be serving a lot, and they've counted themselves out. And I think the gift that a pastor has, and a leader, not just, this isn't just falling on the shoulders of one pastor, this is a culture, as you said, is I I think where we miss out, women miss out in the church, is that there are things. I remember when my dad was alive, he would encourage and speak into my life things that if he hadn't, I wouldn't have known to to do those things and to become Mm -hmm. the person I've become. And I think that the beauty of the church and how you can come alongside whether you're in a complementarian or egalitarian structure and ironically I am a very complementarian right. for what it's worth I know but and right. I, I Katie never really talks about her stance I, I, yeah. I you try to decipher it but at the end of the day it shouldn't matter and so you could be in a very conservative background theologically and very strict background and right. still be right. able to flourish um, and so Derek what about I, I mean I'm interested Derek you're African American I don't know if people can see that but like the African-American church has been much more friendly to women right. in leadership. And so how does that play out? I think there's a high stance on value, you know, so you, I think there's sometimes a misinterpretation because there's a lot of African-American churches that are complementarian, but you still have a sense of value in terms of towards a, a woman. And sometimes the women would actually fight in the fact of saying, no, we're, no, you're, you're the pastor and the pastor is a man and he's to do this. But, but you have this tension where, I always say you got to toe the line of the tension well. I think we like to swing the pendulum too far to the right or the left. And um, the, the the black woman in our history has been a strong um, matriarch figure that has held the family, but also blocks and neighborhoods together. And uh, and so you have in the black church. I'm not necessarily a pastor of a black church, but I grew up in it. You have. Um, mothers of the church. You have um, mom, the women that are on different trustee boards and boards within the church, and you have women that are the nurse in the church. And all of these different positions are valued. Um, and, and that comes from a, a steep tradition in history because, because as a black person running through slavery or up even through the civil rights movement, you didn't have sense of value in, in, in the community or the city. So when you went to church, everybody 
had some type of value. You, you dressed well. You also had a, a position in the church that meant something. And that was for women, too. And so when you see that person, it's not just um, another person in the church. There's somebody. And um, I think that that trickle that should trickle into the church in a way. So to to where some women will actually encourage um, male leadership more than say, well, where's my position? So I think there's a tension and that's good. And you got to have the voice be heard at the table. They have to have a seat um, uh, just like if. And for me, that goes back to black church and just my community, the way I was raised, we walk in and I see value. I see you as a, I think, uh, the Im- not only an image bearer, but there's something that you bring something to the table as we all do. And that can get us in trouble, but I think if we start at that place, it's a good place. All right, so Derek, uh, you, you said you got four four girls and you're leading on, this man. church. And, Pray uh, for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate your perspective too, like on the black, you know, historically black church and just how over time that... Um, even just that position of kind of that matriarchal uh, view of many women in the church. I mean, that's a that that adds a level of of honor. That adds a level of respect that I think a lot of other churches have probably missed and have probably right. been yeah. been neglected. So sure. let's let's go around the horn real quick uh, as we wrap up on on leadership because ultimately that's that's really that's what Katie was talking about. Right. How do we develop? Leaders. She's talking specifically female leaders, but a lot of the conversation was applicable to men and to women. Are leaders born or are leaders built? She talks about, uh, we, we disagreed a little bit. I think, right. Ron, you disagreed when she yeah. said, I don't, I don't know if I have the gift of leadership. You're like, well, you've done yeah, some even pretty... Even I was like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> <laughs> She's like, come on, man. She's just trying to be humble. Yeah, I'll grow a church to about like 20,000 people. Exactly. She's like, I'm a mercy ministry. I'm like, yeah, right. <laughs> but she called it learned leaders, and yeah, hopefully Hopefully all leaders are are learners, but uh, Derek, start with you. Leaders uh, born versus leaders being built. Man, I think that there's, I I can't deny that God definitely gifts us with different things as we're born and things of that nature, but I I would love to lean into the fact that we're bred and there's, uh, we're built and, and discipleship is huge. You take the disciples with Jesus. I don't, I don't know if I necessarily consider any of those guys great leaders before they actually (laughs) met Jesus and spent three years with him. So I think there's a there's a level of building up the leader uh, that sadly, I'd say the church has missed many times, which she was kind of hitting in in the interview. But I would definitely lean more to the built. All right, Ron, leaders born or built? You know, I think if there was only one kind of leader, then it would be one (laughs) or the other. You know what I mean? So I I do think, you know, there's a tendency for us, you know, I just even look at myself. My mom spoke into me, you know, you're going to be a leader. You're going to be a leader and kind of painted a vision. And I think, you know, even for you, Derek, I know that you are a leader. You've got certain leadership gifts. I think the born part is probably misled in certain ways. I think different people have different giftings and different styles of leadership. So I really do gravitate to say that, you know, no matter what um, gifts you have, you know, you can be a leader in regards to um, growing in your leadership. Steve, you said it, leaders are learners. And so I don't think that I've ever stop learning. I don't want to stop yeah. learning. I think that's when you put the lead, the lid on your leadership. I think the issue is that when, you know, back to the conversation, when we put a lid on a female leader because of something that we think in the church or what she can or cannot do, and, and that becomes really, really problematic. 
All right, Lena, last word for uh, for this episode, both on leadership, but then anything you think we, we, we missed that's, that's burning in right. your soul that right. you got to say. Right. I mean, first of all, I think both and. I think it's yes. to ask, is it built or bred? It's like asking, is a tomato a fruit or a vegetable? <laughs> I, 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 I it's mean, a vegetable, it, isn't it? I, I mean, I, I think on paper it's a fruit, right? So, I mean, I don't know. If we I think, started with that question, we'd still, <laughs> 20, 30 minutes later, right. that's all we'd be talking so about. So, I think you, you certainly would be miserable leading yeah. if you weren't a leader. But yeah, you're going to be right. a much better leader being built. But it's, I think my last thought on this whole conversation, I think, is we have to cast a vision of leadership for women besides just Sunday yeah. morning preaching sermons. Yeah. I think yeah. that that yeah. sells it short. That's it. Thanks for joining us for episode two of the Gospel, Culture, and Me, a leadership conversation focused on the intersection of culture and the church and how it impacts our day-to-day life. Next time, we are talking with, get this, the guru of marriage. That's right, there's only one name, Dr. Gary Chapman. And we're not just talking five love languages, although we're gonna get into that. It's impacted so many marriages, but hey, we're talking about divorce, divorce in the church. Why is divorce so rampant, even in the church? Make sure to listen to that episode. I'm Steve Smith. That's next time on The Gospel Culture and Me. For more resources and episodes, head to gcmpodcast.com.